From New York, this is Democracy Now! That's my goal. That's our goal, to keep this pause going beyond tomorrow so that we can continue to see more hostages come out and surge more humanitarian relief into, into those in, who are in need in Gaza. The four-day truce in Gaza has entered its final day, but negotiations are continuing to extend it. So far, Hamas has released 58 hostages who'd been held captive for seven weeks. Israel's released 117 imprisoned Palestinian women and children. Most have been held without charge. We'll go to Israel and the occupied West Bank for the latest, then speak to a former Palestinian prisoner and a former Israeli military commando who helped found the group Combatants for Peace. Together, we engage in nonviolent uh, struggle against Israeli occupation and all forms of violence in this uh, region. All that and more coming up. Welcome to Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. Calls are mounting to extend the four-day truce in Gaza, which is now in its final day. Hamas backed the extension Sunday, as have international mediators Egypt, Qatar and the United States. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said he's open to extending the truce by one day for every 10 hostages released by Hamas. A total of 58 hostages have been released so far, including citizens of Thailand, the Philippines and Russia. A four-year-old Israeli American girl, Abigail Edan, has, was among the captives released on Sunday. 117 Palestinian prisoners have been freed from Israeli prisons during the truce. Scenes of reunited families and celebrations over the weekend offered a glimpse of hope amidst the temporary lull in fighting. In the occupied West Bank, Palestinians celebrated on the streets as their loved ones returned. This is Hanan Takatka, a mother in Bethlehem whose son was freed Friday. It was an indescribable feeling and happiness when I heard that there was a deal, thank God. In Palestine, our joy is not complete. We are happy that our children are released, but our joy is not complete. First of all, our families, children, and beloved ones in Gaza are full of blood. At the end, we were very happy for our children, but there was a price we paid. There were other children who died. Ahead of the prisoners' release, Israel's far-right national security minister, Itamar Ben-Gavir, banned celebrations in East Jerusalem and ordered police to raid the homes of prisoners' families. Ben-Gavir said, quote, my instructions are clear. There are to be no expressions of joy, unquote. Some 15,000 Palestinians have been killed since Israel's assault on Gaza began on October 7th, mostly women and children. Researchers say the death rate is unprecedented in this century. The assault has also caused mass displacement and widespread destruction, including to hospitals and other essential infrastructure. Some displaced Gazans said they were barred from reentering the neighborhoods and homes they fled, barred by Israeli forces. Meanwhile, the Red Crescent said northern Gaza is finally getting an influx of aid thanks to the truce. As the fragile truce held through the weekend, Israeli forces continued 
uh, deadly attacks on the occupied West Bank, killing at least eight Palestinians, including two children. That's according to local health officials. At least five of those deaths came during another raid on the Jenin refugee camp. This is a resident of Jenin. They enter houses and demolish them and damage them. They just inflict destruction. They did not arrest any youth from here. It is just a matter of destruction. Over 200 Palestinians in the occupied West Bank have been killed by Israeli forces or settlers since October 7th. Police in Vermont have arrested a white suspect in the shooting of three 20-year-old students of Palestinian descent Saturday. All three survived, though one is said to have suffered much more serious injuries. Two of the men were wearing kafiyas, and they were speaking Arabic at the time of the attack. The young men were identified as Hisham Aratani, a Brown University student, Kenan Abdelhamid of Haverford College, and Tassin Ahmad, a student at Trinity College. The families of the victims and advocacy groups urged authorities to investigate the shooting as a hate crime amidst a spike in anti-Arab and anti-Muslim attacks in the United States. The suspect, Jason Eaton, is being arraigned today. The three young men were visiting one of their grandmothers in Burlington, Vermont. They all went to the Ramallah Friends Academy for high school. Meanwhile, the Indian American Muslim Council is calling for authorities to investigate a possible hate crime motive in the November 17th stabbing of two Muslim students of Indian origin in Fremont, California. The attacks occurred at a busy shopping and dining area in broad daylight and left cousins Syed Shadan al-Haq and Khalid bin Masood Yafai with critical injuries. The suspect, Miguel Angel Villarreal, has been charged with one count of attempted first-degree murder. Here in New York, over a thousand peaceful protesters held a sit-in Sunday at the entrance to the Manhattan Bridge, halting traffic to downtown Brooklyn. Protesters, led by Jewish Voice for Peace, unfurled banners reading, Let Gaza Live, and the whole world is watching, as they sat in the roadway chanting, Up with Liberation, Down with Occupation. Their protests came three days after protesters disrupted the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade to demand an end to U.S. support for Israel's occupation and bombardment of Gaza. Protesters wore jumpsuits covered in fake blood and glued themselves to the street, briefly displaying banners reading Free Palestine and Genocide Then, Genocide Now, before police moved in to arrest or detain them. In Seattle, the city council passed a resolution backing a ceasefire, the largest U.S. city to do so. But Seattle City Council member Kashama Savant, who proposed the resolution, called it watered down after it removed condemnation of the Israeli military, the occupation of Palestine, and U.S. funding for Israel. Elsewhere, tens of thousands of Cubans, led by President Miguel Diaz-Canel, marched Thursday to the U.S. Embassy in Havana, accusing the United States of supporting Israel's genocide against Palestinians in Gaza. In Glasgow, Scotland, the BBC has been accused of censorship after the network edited calls for a Gaza ceasefire out of its coverage of an award ceremony. This is BAFTA-winning 
director, Ailey Monroe, who won for her short film, A Long Winter, but had her acceptance speech cut from BBC's edited version posted online. We've got a responsibility to elevate the world's most important stories. And we want to take this opportunity tonight to say that we stand in solidarity with everyone in Palestine. Meanwhile, Israel has summoned the ambassadors of Belgium and Spain after their country's leaders spoke at the Rafah border crossing between Egypt and Gaza Friday, condemning Israeli attacks against Palestinian civilians. This is Spanish Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez. Absolutely necessary to establish a lasting humanitarian ceasefire to reverse the catastrophic situation that the people of the street are going through. In New York, the former director of NYU Langone Hospital's Cancer Center has filed a lawsuit after he was fired for sharing racist cartoons of Arab people on social media, as well as several messages against Palestinians, including one questioning the scale of the death toll in Gaza due to Israel's nonstop bombardment. Dr. Benjamin Neal is accusing NYU Langone Health of violating city and state human rights laws. His firing came after NYU Langone first removed a Palestinian medical resident from one of its hospitals, Dr. Zaki Massoud, posted messages on social media in solidarity with Palestine. Neil responded, saying he had been, quote, offered up as a sacrificial lamb so NYU Langone could claim impartiality. In the Netherlands, the far-right Islamophobic populist Geert Wilders has vowed to become the next Dutch prime minister after his Freedom Party won the most votes in last week's parliamentary election. But Wilders will first have to make agreements with at least two other parties to form a government. Other Dutch politicians have expressed reticence or outright refused to back Wilders, who has advocated banning the Quran prohibiting Islamic schools and mosques, and denying entry to asylum seekers. In 2017, he referred to Moroccan immigrants as scum during a campaign event. He's also made anti-trans remarks. Wilders' victory has rocked the mostly liberal nation, and European neighbors are also facing threats of a shift to the far right. Protesters took to the streets of Utrecht on Thursday evening. This is needed because my kids, adults, a lot of people woke up in this country and we are worried if they are still welcome here. This is not the country I fell in love with, which I love so much. The country I love is a country in which we hold each other tight and live together. In other protests, four Greenpeace activists jumped into the Parliament pond in The Hague to protest Geert Wilders, who's threatened to withdraw from the Paris Climate Agreement and slash spending on the climate crisis. Ukraine's military says it shot down 71 of 75 drones launched by Russia Saturday in what officials are calling the largest such attack since Russia's invasion early last year. At least two people were injured in Kyiv, where falling debris sparked fires at residential buildings in kindergarten. The Russian drone attacks came just days after U.S. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin visited Kyiv, where he announced another $100 million in military aid for Ukraine. The United Nations reports over 10,000 civilians have been killed in Ukraine since Russia invaded.
In Dublin, Ireland, hundreds of far-right protesters fought street battles with police Thursday in riots that erupted after a knife attack at a school that left five people injured, including three children. Police say the rioters were driven by misinformation about the knife attack, which was blamed on an immigrant. The BBC reports the attacker was, in fact, an Irish citizen who's lived in Ireland for 20 years. Anti-immigration protests erupted in Ireland this year after the government received more than 140,000 immigrants, its highest total, in 15 years. Thousands of people took to the streets in cities around the world Saturday to mark the International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women. An estimated 50,000 people turned out in Rome as protesters demanded justice for a 22-year-old student who was recently killed by her ex-boyfriend in a case that's rocked Italy. In Guatemala, demonstrators wrote out the number 438 with candles in a tribute to the women who've been killed so far this year. Meanwhile, in Argentina, women condemned the agenda of the newly elected president, far-right libertarian Javier Milei. I think everything the new government of Javier Melee stands for infringes on the rights we have won, the right to abortion, the fight against patriarchal violence, and even the fight for gender equality in the workplace. I am convinced that we have hard times ahead. In Australia, police arrested over 100 climate activists who took part in a two-day blockade of the world's largest coal port. Thousands of activists participated in the blockade, occupying the port of Newcastle by swimming or kayaking in the port shipping lane. Australia is the world's second largest exporter of coal. 97-year-old Reverend Alan Stewart was one of the detained activists. Organizers say he's the oldest person ever arrested and charged in Australia. Reverend Stewart spoke to reporters after the action. Whatever happens to me doesn't matter, but what happens to the uh, climate, because the climate is going to uh, affect future generations, my grandchildren and great-grandchildren and so on. In Oregon, thousands of teachers are expected to return to work today after reaching a historic teach tentative agreement with the Portland Public Schools. The deal reached Sunday came more than three weeks after teachers at 81 Portland-area schools walked out on strike. The Portland Association of Teachers Union said the tentative deal had secured key wins, including demands for higher wages, class size limits, and more time to plan lessons. Thousands of Amazon workers across Europe went on strike on Black Friday, one of the busiest shopping days of the year, protesting the retail giant's working conditions and demanding fair wages. The global campaign Make Amazon Pay said strikes and protests would take place from Friday through today in at least 30 countries. In Coventry, England, over 1,000 Amazon warehouse workers walked off the job Friday, blocking the facility's entrance and preventing trucks from leaving. This is a trade union. Leader. In the protest here, we've got people joining us from uh, Germany, from the US, from Italy. There are also Spanish workers that are out on strike today. This is now a global wake-up call for Amazon. They can't keep ignoring the concerns of these workers and the workers in warehouses right across the world. It's clear that this is a huge, momentous thing that Amazon just need to listen to. And Pablo Yoruba Guzman, the visionary former Minister of Information of the Young Lords and longtime print and television reporter, has died of a heart attack. 
1969, Guzman co-founded the New York chapter of the predominantly Puerto Rican radical group, the Young Lords, which fought against police brutality, racism, U.S. imperialism and militarism. The Young Lords also provided health care, child care and breakfast to impoverished people, most of them black and Latino. Pablo Guzman went on to write for publications, including The Village Voice and Rolling Stone, and spent nearly two decades at the New York station WCBS. His longtime friend, Democracy Now! co-host Juan Gonzalez, called Guzman the best street reporter on TV. We'll have more on Pablo Guzman tomorrow on Democracy Now! And those are some of the headlines. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. When we come back, the four-day truce in Gaza has entered its final day, but negotiations are continuing to extend it. We'll go to Israel and the occupied West Bank for the latest on the hostage and prisoner releases. <laughs> Umaima Khalil and Marcel Khalife. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. The four-day truce in Gaza has entered its final day, but negotiations are underway to extend it. So far, Hamas has released a total of 58 hostages who've been held captive for the seven weeks. 39 of the freed hostages have been Israeli citizens. Hamas also released 17 Thai workers, a Filipino worker, and an Israeli Russian. Since the truce began, Israel's released 117 Palestinian prisoners, mostly women and children, including many who'd been held without charge. One of the first hostages released was the 85-year-old Holocaust survivor, Yafa Adar. She was captured from her home in the kibbutz near Oz. Her granddaughter, Adva Adar, spoke Sunday. Um, I can say that she's deaf, and I can say that uh, she she said that she was thinking about the family a lot, and uh, that uh, it helped her survive, and that she could hear the the voices of the great grandchildren calling her, and that it gives her a lot of power, and that uh, she's now uh, trying to realize what's happening here and uh, uh, about a lot of uh, friends and neighbors that are uh, either dead or kidnapped from the kibbutz and about Tamir, her uh, oldest grandson that is also a hostage and uh, that she has no house to return. 
In the occupied West Bank, crowds gathered to celebrate the release of Palestinians held in prison. This is Nasrallah Alawar, one of the Palestinian teenagers released. Prison guards made us starve. They used to bring us two patches of bread for each cell, which is not enough. There were also children, 11 and 12 years old, with us, and it wasn't enough food for them. God only knows how bad the situation was. Health officials in Gaza now say the death toll from Israel's bombardment has reached nearly 15,000. The New York Times is reporting the rate of civilians killed in Gaza by Israel has been far higher than in recent wars in Ukraine, Iraq, Syria and Afghanistan. The New York Times reports more than twice as many women and children have already been reported killed in Gaza in the last seven weeks than have been confirmed killed in Ukraine since Russia launched its attack nearly two years ago, though the exact death tolls in both conflicts are unknown. Earlier today, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu visited Israeli troops in Gaza and told them Israel will continue until the end. Nothing will stop us. We're joined now by two guests. We go to Jerusalem, where we're joined by Orly Noy, Israeli political activist and editor of the Hebrew language news site Local Call. She's also the chair of Betselem's executive board. Her new piece for 972 magazine is What Israelis Won't Be Asking About the Palestinians Released for Hostages. Tala Nasser is also with us, a lawyer with the Palestinian prisoner and human rights organization Adamir. We welcome you both to Democracy Now! Um, let's begin with Orly Noy. If you can talk about this, ten this temporary truce that could end today or possibly will continue, Israel says, for each day that Hamas releases at least 10 hostages. Um, what this four-day respite has meant, who has been released, Orly? Uh, thank you, Amy, so much for having me. Um, as soon as uh, the exchange of prisoners deal uh, was agreed upon, Israel came up with a list of 300 Palestinian prisoners, um, almost all of them minors, uh, with a few women included. Uh, that would be the pool to be released throughout uh, the, the ceasefire. When, we, when you look thoroughly at the names and the charges, as you said, first off, many of them were never charged with anything. I mean, the, the numbers uh, are uh, incredible. The latest data uh, from the beginning of uh, November uh, talk about more than 6,800 Palestinians uh, political prisoners, what Israel refers to as uh, uh, security prisoners, more than 2,000 of them uh, in, uh, through administrative detention. It means that not only they've never been convicted with anything, they've never been ch charged with anything. So. Uh, never had the opportunity to defend themselves. Uh, you look at minor uh, Palestinian teenagers who've been arrested 
for throwing uh, stones at uh, police jeeps or army jeeps. Uh, one of uh, the names in that list is in prison just simply for calling with a group of his, his friends Allahu Akbar, yes, God is great. Uh, another Palestinian woman uh, has been sitting in jail for uh, uh, allegedly intent, intending to carry out an attack, not, attack, not even doing anything in practice. Um, uh, others uh, uh, have been charged with attempts uh, to carry out stabbing attacks or, or did even did so, but uh, um, mildly injured uh, policemen and women. So you see that the charges are incredibly um, minor, but what this list really gives, allows, is the sense of how central uh, the tool of incarceration is in the Israeli project of the occupation and oppression of the Palestinian people. And talk about the Israeli hostages and others, a Thai, a Filipino hostage, a Russian-Israeli hostage was released. Um, so, of course, I mean, this, these past uh, three days with the release of uh, the, the hostages have been really a sort of a national celebration after in, in what are maybe the darkest days that Israelis uh, can remember. Uh, they've, I mean, there was a very anxious anticipation for their return, especially the children whom the Israeli entire society became to know by name each of the children that have been held as hostages. Um, there, there, so there's been a lot of anxiety in, uh, you know, anticipation for, for their return. They've been greeted uh, with um, a national embrace uh, and uh, they, uh, they uh, of course, went immediately to receive uh, medical treatment, those who needed, but and a medical checkup for all of them. Uh, and they have, a, uh, I mean, but this is just the beginning of their journey back to life because uh, many of them don't know what happened since they went uh, to captivity. Many of them lost immediate family members and they are just now learning about it. Uh, so it's a very um, bittersweet moment for them and for the Israeli society as a whole. Now, from the beginning, it was said that uh, Americans or Israeli Americans would be released. It was only yesterday that the little four-year-old um, Abigail Adan was released. Um, her, both her parents were murdered. She ran as a three-year-old. It's astounding. She turned four in captivity to her neighbor's house. Um, and there, um, Abigail was captured along with the uh, with the mom and her three kids, I think her oldest daughter the um, uh, and the husband were murdered. Um, and then they were all taken into captivity. She is the first American to be released. And some are speculating that Hamas is holding off on Americans so that Biden will put pressure on Netanyahu to continue the ceasefire. Um, 
Um, yeah, we are being told so, and it actually makes some sense because, uh, uh, I mean, um, it is almost ironic that uh, while uh, Israel is incarcerating Palestinian children for throwing stones, uh, at the same time, uh, the only lesson that he teaches the Palestinians is that the only way to actually release Palestinian prisoners is through such heinous uh, crimes, such as the one that Hamas carried out on uh, October 7th. Um, I mean, really, the, the, the amount of Palestinian children, women, minors, and others in the prisons uh, without any due process, without an ability to really honestly protect themselves from, is such that right now it seems that their only hope is through such uh, uh, actions, uh, again, horrible, violent, heinous actions, but taken by the Hamas, but Israel just doesn't show any other way for Palestinians to be able to resist uh, the occupation, which they have the right to, without spending the rest of their lives in, in uh, the Israeli prisons. Tala uh, Nasser, I want to ask you about um, what's happening on the streets right now. I want to go back to what um, Ben Gvir, the far-right cabinet minister, said. On Thursday, um, the Israeli Minister of National Security, um, uh, Ben Gavir, instructed police to use an iron fist against attempts to celebrate prisoner releases and said, quote, my instructions are clear. There are to be no expressions of joy. Expressions of joy are equivalent to backing terrorism. Victory celebrations give backing to those human scum for those Nazis. Um, <clears throat> so if you can talk about what this means. In the West Bank, we've seen thousand people coming out to celebrate the young men now. Boys, when they were arrested, some have come of age while they were in prison. But in East Jerusalem, um, they, we are not seeing that. Is it because people are terrified of being arrested for terrorism? I mean, this from Ben Gavir, a man who himself was convicted in Israeli court 15 years ago of aiding terrorism and inciting hatred of Palestinians. Yes, first of all, good morning. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm going to talk about several violations uh, after or in the past three days uh, within this exchange deal, uh, uh, starting with the, the West Bank. So uh, the, the Israeli forces uh, deliberately assaulted the, the released prisoners and their families during the prisoner release uh, operations. Uh, they, they first delayed the release of prisoners until late at night. Uh, they released the child prisoners wearing clothes that are too big for their size. And some of them were barefoot. Uh, additionally, uh, the clothes did not provide adequate protection uh, from the cold weather uh, at that at these days. Uh, forces also used gas bombs, the rubber bullets, uh, live ammunition in front of Ofer prison where families were gathered to uh, to to meet with their uh, uh, children and loved ones, uh, 
Uh, on the other hand, and concerning uh, the the uh, released prisoners from the uh, from Jerusalem, the Israeli forces raided the homes of the prisoners before they were released in the occupied Jerusalem. Uh, they prevented them from any side, uh, signs of celebration upon, of course, re reuniting with their loved ones sons and daughters. Uh, the families of the uh, released uh, prisoners were summoned to Al-Maskubiya Center, where they were subjected to harsh and arbitrary conditions that uh, prohibited them uh, from gatherings, uh, banned them from uh, marches and fireworks, prevented them uh, from chanting slogans, in addition to confiscating the suites that were inside the houses. Uh, also, uh, there were assaults on journalists who were present at the at the homes of the released prisoners, uh, and that that uh, that was by physically assaulting them and expelling them out of uh, the houses, uh, prohibiting them from media coverage. That's what happened, or th these are the main violations happened uh, in the West Bank and occupied Jerusalem in the past three days uh, of the prisoner exchange. Can you talk about particular cases of young people who are imprisoned at Talanasser? Uh, you're speaking to us from Ramallah. If you can talk to us, for example, um, about the case of—let's uh, see—of the young man um, who was uh, Ahmed Manasra. Tell us when he was arrested, what happened to him when he was 13 years old? Yes. Okay. So uh, regarding Ahmad Manasra, so he was arrested when he was 12 years old. And he was uh, 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 on attempts of stabbing a, an Israeli settler. Uh, he was interrogated in a very hard conditions inside Israeli prison. He, he went under torture and ill treatment. He, he, uh, he is now uh, facing uh, psychological uh, illness and issues. Uh, of course, he's not on the list of the prisoners supposed to be uh, released within this exchange deal because he's over 18. Uh, while he was uh, under 18, he was 12 years old when he was arrested. Uh, we are we hopefully uh, uh, think his name will be on a next uh, on the next list of the supposed to be released uh, from Israeli prisons. But until now. Nothing is uh, is accurate about uh, the, the the many prisoners. Uh, talking about the prisoners who were released or or uh, or their names were on the list. Uh, one of them is uh, uh, serves the, the the highest sentence of all child prisoners. His name is Muhammad Abu Qtesh. He is serving a fifteen year sentence, which is the highest sentence among all the children. We're talking about a woman prisoner who was released. Uh, uh, before two days. Uh, her name is Shuruq Dwayat. Uh, she, uh, she is sentenced to 16 years old, and it's the highest uh, sentence uh, among the women prisoners. Uh, we're talking about uh, injured and ill uh, female prisoners who were released. Uh, one of them is uh, Isra al-Jabit, who suffered severe uh, burns all over her body. We're talking about Fatma Shaheen. Uh, she's a woman, a prisoner who was released. Uh, she lost the ability to walk. She is paralyzed uh, for being shot uh, by the occupation forces. 
Uh, we're also talking about releasing four uh, administrative detainees from women prisoners in addition to nine child administrative detainees. These are being held under administrative detention without a charge, without a trial and indefinitely. And let's talk about how many Palestinians are imprisoned right now. Um, what, over 7,000, 2,000 of them from the West yes. Bank since October 7th? Uh, not exactly. We're, uh, we're talking about over 7,000 uh, Palestinian political prisoners inside Israeli prisons right now. More than 2,500 of them are being held under administrative detention. And talking about after the 7th of October, the number of uh, 80% of the Palestinians detained after the 7th of October are being now held under administrative detention without a charge, without a trial. And after the 7th of October, until this day, we're talking about 3,260 Palestinians detained uh, in Israeli prison until this day. So in less than two months, it's more than 3,000 Palestinians, including uh, 120 uh, female prisoners, uh, including 41 journalists. And uh, let me shed light on something. Uh, from Friday until this day, we're talking about more than 112 Palestinians that were detained in the past three days only. From the beginning of the truth, the truth. So it's actually equal to the number of released prisoners within the exchange deal. So these mass arrest campaigns are still taking place uh, in all uh, the cities, villages, uh, refugee camps in uh, the Palestinian territories. And most of them are being held under administrative detention. Uh, something important to, to note also, uh, there uh, uh, Six Palestinian prisoners died or was, were killed inside Israeli prisons in less than a month. Uh, these six, uh, four of them uh, were arrested after the 7th of October and two of them were arrested before. Uh, until now, we don't know the circumstances of their uh, death because we still don't have uh, the accurate information. But uh, uh, the testimonies of prisoners and released prisoners affirm that uh, they were uh, brutally beaten inside uh, the prisons. So uh, like several violations have been taking place inside Israeli prisons after the 7th of October. And uh, that's what we have documented throughout these, uh, these two months. Near Ofer prison in the West Bank, Hanan al-Barghouti spoke after she was part of the first group of 39 Palestinian detainees to be released. She said since October 7th, her family was not allowed to contact her after Israeli prison authorities launched a brutal crackdown on Palestinian prisoners. She says she was in September and placed in jail without charge or trial for an initial period of four months, subject to indefinite extensions under Israel's administrative detention policy. Four of her sons are also under arrest. Yes, The female prisoners are in agony. The female prisoners are very upset. They impose on us many humiliating things and all the things that hurt us. But we remained with our heads held high and steadfast and tolerant despite their sadism. God willing, we will free all the female prisoners and empty the jails. So that's um, Hanan Albarguti, who was arrested in September and just released as part of the prisoner exchange.
I actually want to put this question to Orly Noy. How are Palestinian prisoners um, perceived? I mean, the way you describe them, we talk about the Israeli hostages taken by Hamas on October 7th. You describe them as hostages of the Israeli state, with so many of them not even charged. Yeah, uh, the, the, I mean, here I, I should mention a word about the collaboration of the Israeli media with the general uh, state attempt to portray each and every Palestinian behind bars as a terrorist. I mean, this is the, the one and only term that the Israeli media is referring by to the uh, Palestinian prisoners. No, it, and it doesn't matter what they did. And if it's a 12-year-old child who threw stones uh, or uh, a grown-up uh, man who uh, did something um, more severe, they are all seen as terrorists. And um, the double standards, particularly in that uh, area, is really mind-blowing because the same system that allows every uh, Jewish uh, settler, citizen, or soldier, or policeman to walk away after killing Palestinians um, under the most outrageous circumstances is, is the same uh, system that uh, treats a 12-year-old who throws who threw stones as a dangerous terrorist, uh, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, stones can uh, can kill and whatnot. So they are all seen as um, as terrorists, and one of the most difficult tasks for human rights organization is actually to advocate for uh, the conditions of the Palestinian prisoners who, as was mentioned before, uh, which were uh, harshened dramatically since October 7th. And we've been talking to some people and we've been hearing um, heartbreaking, shaking testimonies about the conditions of Palestinian prisoners. Uh, in the uh, prisons uh, these days, they uh, we are far away from the public eye and further, even further away from public interest. So where do you see this going, Orly Noy? Do you see um, Israel, Hamas has already agreed to this, extending um, this truce uh, for every day that they release 10 hostages? And what about the pressure on Netanyahu, where you had thousands of Israelis marching to his offices, demanding hostages be number one over a military strike on Gaza? I think uh, that the question uh, would become crucial after the release of all the civilians, because we should keep in mind that uh, Hamas is uh, also holding uh, in captivity Israeli soldiers, and without a doubt, the price that they will demand for their release is going to be much, much higher than what we've seen so far. Uh, at the same time, and again, going back to the role of the Israeli media, they, the media is pushing very hard 
to renew uh, the war after those exchanges. And Netanyahu actually has a very big incentive to carry on the war because of those demands that you mentioned, because he knows that the, the day after the war, the Israeli public is going to hold him accountable for that catastrophe. At the same time, nobody knows what Israel's end game is and what is Israel's plan for the day after the war uh, regarding Gaza. Um, so all of that with the given situation in Gaza where when people, the residents of the already most densely populated place on earth are now squeezed in a smaller uh, area facing hunger uh, without clear water to drink, without proper medications. Uh, uh, what will be the nature of the next phase of war, should there be one, under those uh, uh, circumstances, is I, I really do not dare to even imagine that scenario. Just have 30 seconds left, but I want to ask Tala um, about your knowledge of the number of arrests of people, of Palestinians in Gaza. Um, in recent days, Israel arrested Ani Khatab, the head of Khan Yunus's medical center, and Mohammed Abu Salmiya, the head of the Al-Shifa hospital. Uh, we also, of course, know about Masab Abu Taha, who is known around the world, the Palestinian poet and writer. He was taken with about 200 others in prison, but because of uh, tremendous pressure and outcry, especially from the United States news organizations, he was released, but the others weren't. Yeah, so unfortunately, we have no information about uh, Palestinians who've been imprisoned from Gaza until this day. Uh, we tried to contact, of course, the Israeli prison service. Uh, uh, all the Israeli human rights organizations are trying also to uh, find out the whereabouts and the situation of uh, Palestinians detained from Gaza. But until now, we don't even know the numbers of these Palestinians. Uh, uh, and of course, we do not know the circumstances of their uh, arrest. We are also talking about, until this day, there are approximately 700 missing Palestinians uh, who are likely detained in the occupation prisons, but we don't know the accurate information about their conditions. Uh, these are from the uh, workers who've been working inside Israel before the 7th of October. Some of them were released at the Karm Abu Salem uh, crossing, but uh, there are approximately 700 that are now still missing and we don't have any information about them. So we are trying and working to uh, know the conditions they're being uh, detained and uh, uh, what are they, their condition and what are they going through right now. Well, Tala Nasser, I want to thank you so much for being with us, lawyer with the Palestinian Prisoner and Human Rights Organization, Adamir, speaking to us from Ramallah in the occupied West Bank, and Orly Noy, Israeli political activist, editor of the Hebrew-language news site Local Call, and chair of Betselem's executive board. We'll link to your new piece for Plus 972 magazine, What Israelis Won't Be Asking About the Palestinians Released for Hostages. Coming up, we speak to a former Palestinian prisoner and a former Israeli military commando who together helped found Combatants for Peace. Back in 20 seconds.
Rise, Sweet Waters by Joey Weisenberg and the Hadar Ensemble. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org. I'm Amy Goodman. As we continue to cover the truce in Gaza and prisoner hostage releases, we're joined by two of the founders of the group Combatants for Peace. Avner Vishnitzer is a member of one of the Israeli military's elite commando units. He's joining us from Jerusalem. And in Ramallah, we're joined by Suleiman Khatib who spent more than 10 years in prison after an altercation with two Israeli soldiers. They recently co-wrote an article for the New York Review of Books headlined, Combatants for Peace. Um, Suleiman, let's begin with you. As you see Palestinians released from prison in exchange for the um, Israeli hostages uh, and those of other nationalities who've been released— can you talk about your thoughts as a former man imprisoned yourself? Uh, firstly, thank you, Amy, for uh, having us, myself uh, and uh, my uh, partner and uh, brother Avner in Jerusalem. Um, and as I heard your interview with the uh, colleagues, speakers before us that explain in details about the prisoners and the hostages uh, exchange. Um, as ex-prisoner, I definitely feel uh, a lot of empathy uh, to the prisoners, especially we are talking about kids, actually, uh, women and kids. Uh, that makes me feel uh, optimistic and uh, um, that shows also, unfortunately, where the dehumanization and uh, the multi-standards, uh, double standards that exist in this place. And definitely as an ex-prisoner personally and combatants for peace in our organization that include Palestinian and Israelis, that we live with a more multiple uh, complex narrative, we would like really both uh, the Israeli uh, government and the Hamas in Gaza to release the prisoners, the civilians that were taken hostages in Gaza and the Palestinian prisoners that we are talking about thousands of them, and some of them without charge even in jail. All these prisoners and hostages have families, have rights, and as we see, unfortunately, their rights of uh, by international law were not granted, as we myself experienced that. I've been in jail when I was actually 14, uh, under a military court, uh, so I know the meaning of separating from your family and being... Uh, uh, without rights, basically. I know the meaning of that. And what inspired you now to commit your life to peace as a co-founder of Combatants for Peace? So, uh, as an ex-political prisoner, and I participated, I'm a very active person since my childhood, uh, very committed to the liberation and freedom of our people. I participated in... Uh, different hunger strikes, food hunger strikes in jail. And that was my first introduction uh, and transformation to nonviolence and the power of nonviolence. Um, through my experience and learning about the history of the conflict and learning, uh, I also 
uh, know Hebrew very well, and I'm coming from indigenous Palestinian family that has living, been living around here, around, outside of Jerusalem, almost more than 500 years. Um, I, I has been uh, opening my heart and my soul and my mind to uh, find partners in the Israeli side that reach the same conclusion, which is basically as simple as no military solution for this conflict. And it's beyond that, because for us, uh, nonviolence is ideology. We advocate for nonviolence, and we advocate for liberation that's collectively connected both uh, Palestinians, despite, of course, the power dynamic and the occupation, which we uh, challenge and we uh, talk about it uh, uh, clearly. I believe that, uh, as I said, our freedom and our needs for, for freedom and for uh, dignity and for human rights both Palestinians and Israeli is legitimate. The strategies that has been taking place, not just lately since October 7, but uh, of course, like over decades of occupation and the apartheid system and the violence and the ideology of violence, whether it coming from a settler violence or it coming from uh, religious violence from uh, Hamas side, we are opposing this clearly and publicly. We are offering a different direction that based on uh, partnership and common interest and common values, based actually on an old story that we Jewish and Palestinian and Arab, we could live uh, in coexistence next to each other and our identities can really be safe and practice in, in the land where we belong. And it doesn't have to be either or. We've been, myself, Avner and other uh, friends, we've been in the place where is it about us or them, uh, eliminate them and the army uh, force uh, options. We don't believe in this anymore. And definitely after I was released from jail, I committed my life to bridge the gap among our people with other activists. And uh, we the road is uh, long. I know this is a long journey. It's well, not necessarily even for our generation. Let me bring Avner Vishnitzer into the conversation. You are a former member of one of the IDF's elite commando units. What inspired you to help found combatants for peace? Hi, and, and thanks for having us. Um, for me, it was the gap between the way I was raised to believe that uh, Israel is a safe haven for the Jews and that it's a, a essentially a liberal democracy and the reality uh, of the occupation, which I uh, learned to um, really know up close only after my service. I was at that time in my uh, early 20s and uh, uh, still a reserve soldier in that same unit. Um, and what I saw in the early 2000s uh, around south, the South Hebron Hills and uh, around Nablus and different places around the West Bank um, really brought me face to face with um, the systematic uh, oppression uh, of which I was only vaguely aware and um, it, it exposed uh, uh, it created a, a dissonance uh, the declared uh, values uh, of Israel um, as a democracy and its backyard in which none of these values are valid. 
And I felt that I can no longer uh, talk the talk and uh, act as if this backyard did not exist. And I uh, refused to serve in the occupied territories in late 2004. And then thinking that it's not enough to just refuse and absolve yourself from uh, from this uh, systematic violence, it is crucial also to struggle against it actively because you can only refuse once. And at that point, it was early 2005, we were approached by a group of Palestinians who were curious about this refusenik phenomenon and and then we started meeting and these meetings later led to uh, to the form formation of combatants for peace and we have been saying for almost two decades what we are still saying now uh, and we insist even more as Suri said there is no military solution it's a fantasy but a very dangerous fantasy um, and we see now the horror and the fear um, and the hatred in Israel, in the West Bank, in Gaza. Uh, what happened on the 7th of October, the atrocities uh, are unprecedented. And then Israeli, Israeli attack on Gaza and set their violence in the West Bank again, unprecedented. The levels of violence keep rising and the circle of violence just goes on because we are unable to undo the, 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 the driving forces uh, of, this, of this conflict. First and foremost, the occupation. It's not the only reason, but we believe it's the, it's the most important reason for perpetuating this uh, conflict. And this is why we've been uh, struggling against it for so long. Um, and what do you think... There, is, there I... is an alternative, and this is what we're trying to, you know, to, to push forward. That's what I want to ask you about. What is the alternative at this point? You have this truce that could end today, uh, unless Hamas releases 10 prisoners a day. But Israel has said only up to 10 days and that they are going to wipe out Hamas in uh, Gaza. What is the alternative, Avner? Uh, the, the, the alternative is not in this micro-tactic level. Uh, I mean, sure, we are for the release of, of all hostages. We are for the release of prisoners. You've talked about the prisoners a lot during this, this, this program. We are talking about something far more fundamental, uh, a sea change, uh, which means uh, the, 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 the renewal of, of, of talks that would lead to a political, a just political solution that is agreed on both sides and not imposed unilaterally. And to support that uh, political process that is so uh, uh, crucial, because right now there is no alternative. It's just brute force. And when people are We have 10 seconds left, but then we're going to continue the conversation. when, when, When people are fed with the idea that there is no choice but violence, they respond with violence to each other. We need to open an alternative, a political Uh, 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 a political process to end the violence. Uh, We want to thank you both so much for being with us. We're going to do part two and post it online. Avner Vishnitzer, former Israeli commando, and um, Suleiman Khatib with Combatants for Peace. Thanks for joining us.